Pod. Pod. Welcome back to another episode of Say Who Say Pod. A day late, but hopefully not a dollar short. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. It's the middle of December. Are you are are you are you finding yourself having to temper your excitement over the transfer portal in order to to stay locked in and excited about the college football playoff, Danny? My 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 rules on recruiting serve me well when it comes to the transfer portal, which is I generally do not get all that excited about players until they are on campus. I don't spend and invest all that much time. And I feel that that little bit of uh, my general operating principle really comes through in moments like this. It can deprive me of some excitement in times of recruiting letter of intent day. There's, there's, there's usually a couple days each year where I'm kind of like the don't really understand what's going on, but moments like this, because you know what I get excited about? Reading a story such as the one I came across on Montlake.com earlier this week about Rome Udunze having to drive back from Tucson because he had suffered a collapsed lung and a broken rib in the game against Arizona. Quite the uh, quite the story. And it's funny because I mean, I guess not funny, but it were it's it's easy to forget. He acknowledged a rib injury mm-hmm. after the Oregon game in the in post game you know it said that yeah he'd and there was always i I think if we went back and listened to our episode that week or maybe it was the week after arizona because there was that bye week in between we probably talked about how "Mm, kind of feels like there's something going on with romo dunze and that hit he took and it didn't look great coming off the field and DeBoer's answer i mean kaylin DeBoer had no clue what was going on you know immediately after the game right he's game's over shake hands straight off the field locker room press conference he's not like getting a detailed update on anybody who's been injured so he was asked like did rome come out of that okay and he was just like oh yeah 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 you know he came off the field sat down right and then on monday he was asked again and was like yeah i you know i hadn't really been fully apprised yet and yeah there was you know he's a little he's sore but he's so they weren't even they weren't even back to campus yet they weren't even still, back to campus. They're still yet. driving. <laughs> oh yeah, you know he's a little sore. Couldn't fly because he had a collapsed lung. Yeah, he could have flown with the broken rib. If it would, if it had just been the rib, he'd. Have, I don't know. Maybe it still would have been too late to get on the plane. But um, yeah, that's uh, talking to Darren Nystrom, the head trainer who made uh, two thirds of the trip with him. Drove for a portion of it from Las Vegas to Salt Lake City. He'd, he'd never been a part of anything like that. He said, yeah, like, you know, occasionally you have an injury that's severe enough that they keep him overnight and they don't get to go back with the team, but you still fly back the next day. Um, so I, I reached out to a, a trainer friend of mine at a different school and said, hey, have you ever had a, an athlete with a pneumothorax, which is the medical term for a collapsed lung? And, and they said, yeah, um, they had a, I believe it was a runner um, who had to take a train like cross country to, to to get home because they couldn't get on an airplane. That's another thing. So he got back by week, you know, recovering a little bit. Him and Michael Penix had to go down to Portland for, um, you know, big Adidas things. They just signed with Adidas the NIL deals as their first college football athletes. And I think the other guys flew and where they were scheduled to fly and he still couldn't fly, had to be driven to Portland and back. And they were very fortunate that they had bye week, Oregon at home, Arizona State at home, 
because otherwise they would have been figuring out how to, you know, like if that Stanford game had been the next week, if he could have played, they weren't going to play without him. They would have been figuring out how to get him to the to the next road game without putting him on an, air, on an airplane because you're not supposed to fly for a couple of weeks after that. So pretty, pretty incredible. So I can't remember. I'd be interested to hearing how it mentioned because I know that before we recorded one of those weeks, you basically said, hey, I don't know how Rome is. I've heard a lot of crazy things. And then and then you said, but I just saw and someone had posted something about him in the Bolitnikoff Award. And what I think is is useful about that is that when you cover a team like you're doing, there is this constant differentiation. You're constantly sifting through all of these different signs and symbols and reading between the lines to try and figure out what is actually going on. And then you also have to be very, very sort of cautious. A good reporter is really cautious instead of saying like, Romo Dunze might be going through something. Because if you don't know for sure, it's very easy to get out in front. Say you had, say you had just, just, just tweeted out those things like, it sounds like something crazy might be going on with Roma Dunze. Well, then he's going to play against Oregon. He's going to look awesome. And then for two months, it would have never, and everybody would have thought like, oh, what the hell was that? That was totally erroneous. There's this layer of stuff that's happening just below the surface that for a beat reporter is almost impossible to like navigate precisely. But when I read your story earlier this week, what I thought was, man, Christian's got his finger on the pulse of this team. He knew, he knew an inkling. He, his spider sense had tingled because something was going on there and it was pretty serious. And we're all as Husky fans, fairly fortunate that Romo Dunze is such a tough mamma jamma. Yeah. Um, like I, I didn't, I didn't know. It's not like, you know, I, I knew exactly what was going on and, and was, keep you know not reporting it for any reason but it, you're right there was just the vibe was off the, yes the vibe was very much like there's, a, there's something there there's something there's something not quite right about like with Romo Dunes the first sign to me was I mean besides just watching him walk off the field and like obviously he wasn't feeling great and all that but the first sign was was DeBoer on Monday like kind of having to be like yeah um he's he's hurt uh, like I, I didn't think he was, I didn't know he was, I didn't have any details, but yeah, he's, um, he's feeling it. He's, he's a little sore. Wait, he's sore. Let's, let's acknowledge that he's feeling a little sore with being driven back to campus. Cause he can't fly. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to go find the exact quote now is um, as an example of the massive, what is one of a uh, Jim Capel rest in peace. One of his all time rules, <laughs> like laws. <laughs> Injuries are always worse than they tell you. It, it is. This is the all-time example. Yes. <laughs> He's feeling it, i.e. can't fly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and it is. And not to say, because I think as most reporters, if you know something, if you know something has happened, you'll write it. Like, that's just the nature of the business. But there's a lot of stuff you simply can't. No, and you don't want to get ahead of it. 
and and trying to differentiate between all of those things is a really tough job. And I guess this was a long way of saying like I want to I want a tip of the cap to to onmontlake.com because if you want to know what is going on in the program and have that put together for you by someone who is exceptionally responsible and and very attuned to the 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 smallest of inklings and 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 vibes that come from the program it's christian cable oh, i appreciate that that's nice of you to say i it, i i the one to the tweet that i um i forget maybe if i sent it to you before we recorded or not but i, I do remember seeing a tweet of, of someone who said they'd seen him loaded into an ambulance leaving the stadium and that was one where I was like, man, really? But like, that'd be a weird thing to just make up. Clearly, like this person's timeline made obvious, like, yeah, they clearly were at the game and, you know, were like a big fan and everything. And I'm like, man, that'd be, hmm. But that with, yeah, like kind of, there'd been some, some people who'd been really out front tweeting about him and the Bolitnikov and stuff had kind of backed off a little bit. And there was like some some silence there to Boris changing, changing narrative. So I went and and found the tweet um, from that Monday. Uh, My tweet from the press conference was Kalen DeBoer says Romo Dunze quote, definitely took a hit there on the onside kick, but quote, he's doing well right now, but a little sore. Said they (laughs) used the bye week to let him heal up. It's more significant than what DeBoer believed post game, (laughs) but said he thinks he'll be fine. Hey, listen, Listen, all of that is one hundred. That the, all of that is one hundred percent true. Yeah. <laughs> like there, he was no uh, lies detected. Maybe just not the full story. He was a little sore. <laughs> yeah, he looks. He looks at his watch. Yeah, he should be should be pulling into campus here in uh, another four hours or so. The all time funniest. I I think I think it's the funniest news update that that I've ever seen was in. God, I'm going to screw up on which year. No, it was 2009 because it was the year Mora was the head coach. Matt Hasselbeck got freaking destroyed at the goal line in San Francisco, like just lit up. And the year before, he'd missed time with a bad back. I, he he looked, he tries to jog off the field, can't, like falls to his knees, collapses. His head looks like it's a tomato, like how red his face is. It just looks horrible. And he gets taken to the hospital. And Hasselbeck tweets a picture of himself in a hospital bed, still in his uniform with like a thumbs up. And he's like, everything checked out okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, and I think the Seahawks ended up getting mad at him for posting that. Um, But it was, it was like, hey, it's not that bad. And the the message after it was, it's, Hey, I know everybody thinks that his back got messed up again, but that's that's not what happened. He's totally fine. Okay, he continued to play, but he wasn't totally fine. He suffered two front broken ribs in a spot where they couldn't fully get the the numbing because guys will play with broken ribs, but usually they get numbed up. Whether it's a shot of, I'm not even go to what sort of things that they take, whether it's tordal or whatever sort of things they, but they could not administer that because they couldn't get a needle to where the injury had occurred. So he had to play through some of the pain, but you're like, Oh yeah, he dodged a bullet there. It's like, no, he broke two ribs. It was just that that injury was one that he could actually play through as opposed to something where his body actually physically stopped working. And and here we were speculating about Michael Penix's ribs all season. 
And it was, you know, there's a, there's a very important offensive player playing through a rib injury. It's maybe not Michael. Maybe it still is Michael Penix. Who the hell knows? That's like, I, with, with that story, I struggled to know like how fine a point to put on it because it, like, it's, you know, when people would, a lot of people said, man, like if, if only Blitnikoff voters had known about this, maybe he gets some votes that Marvin Harrison or Malik neighbors wouldn't get. And I'm like, well, are you super tuned into their health situations? Maybe they're playing through something. So like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to put too much of like, Oh, look, look at this amazing feat of playing through. I mean, certainly I think it's amazing to play through a broken rib. I don't think I could do that. I'd probably have a hard time getting off the couch if I had a broken rib and a collapsed lung. So for him to play in a football game two weeks later is, is, is pretty amazing to me, but like that's football, right? A lot of guys are, I mean, look at all the stuff Dylan Johnson's played through this year it's been something every week and he just has continued to get stronger and you know michael Penix was played sick and and it kind of seemed like that was maybe worse than they let on for for a couple weeks there and um you know all kinds of guys whose stuff we'll never hear about because it just is and so that's that's the other part that's interesting to me is like rome's willingness and like kind of people in the program's willingness to talk about it after the fact because a lot of people, it, and even after it's 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 a competitive advantage issue because it's not now. I mean, it's been long mm-hmm. enough now, yeah. right? People don't want to talk about injuries in football because they just they just don't see the point of discussing it. Like almost like if you talk about it, even if you're playing through it, talking about playing through it is somehow some sign of weakness or something. Yeah. I would say this. I think they're right about not wanting to talk about it for a couple reasons. Is that any sort of perspective that discussing an injury lends to either what that person has gone through to play or ways in which a physical ailment has affected their performance is so short-lived that the the other part of that of discussing and and admitting or talking about how you've been physically compromised that there are there's there's so little upside to doing it that there's just no point and part of it is because everybody gets banged up and the one thing i will say about professional football and college football play anybody who plays football it's true for high school kids football players are playing through things that normal people just do not understand and any inclination you have to think that this person sucks or is terrible or is bad at their job even if it's not quite yet a job should be should should be sort of like you need to keep into perspective that that person is dealing with a level of actual injury and threat of injury that none of us can really fully comprehend because of what happens at that at at that level and Anytime you talk about it, I will always remember Chris Polk at the NFL scouting combine. <laughs> I, I always enjoyed Chris Polk. I, I will say like every interaction that I ever had with Chris Polk was was very enjoyable. And I found him to be uh, a quite endearing young man. He did not have many unspoken thoughts. And no. when, he, when, he, when he was asked at the scouting combine by reporters of like why did it take you so long to get out of here because you remember when he went to the scouting combine people were talking about him as a second or a third round pick and he was like 
yeah, they started asking me about my medical history and pretty soon they're going through all sorts of tests. And I went through all the injuries I had and it was like three inches thick of everything that they ended up testing me on. And I was like, my man, you probably should have been a little more circumspect. (laughs) It probably would have, it probably would have benefited you to be a little bit more opaque about exactly all of the things that had caused you pain over the course of your football career. He ended up not getting drafted and it had nothing to do with his ability. It, it did. It, it was entirely because of how long teams thought he would be able to play, how long they projected him, his shelf life. As I recall, uh, Chris Polk did not speak to the media as often as you might guess the starting, the star <laughs> starting tailback would for that very reason. Um, that dude, he, I believe it was him and Quentin Richardson after the, they beat Idaho. They beat Idaho in week two in 2009 to snap a 15 game losing streak. It was their first win since 2007. And he and Quentin Richardson used the occasion to guarantee they would beat number three USC the next week, which they did. Uh, Hell yeah. Quite amazingly. But uh, I remember just thinking at the time, wow, we're not going to talk to those guys for a long time. <laughs> He was a hell of a player, but I just remember when he was talking to me, man, they were pulling on my shoulder, my knee, and I was like, like, discretion would have been the better part of valor there. Yeah, his agent did not, probably didn't didn't love hearing that. No, probably not. Um, I I keep seeing, so Texas's backup quarterback, Malik Murphy, who was a a big-time prospect um, from California a, a couple years ago, is in the transfer portal, and the news cycle on that has now shifted to how unfortunate it is that he needs to go in the portal, that the college football's calendar for playoff teams and for teams playing in major bowl games does not allow for a player in his position to have your cake and eat it too, essentially that he doesn't want to leave Texas. He wants to continue being Texas's backup quarterback, playing his role on the team through the playoff. But in order to get recruited and, and get a, you know, an ideal landing spot and figure out your next step, you got to go in the portal. And Man, um, it's amazing how inconvenient a, a school system, a college, it's almost like if they, if they didn't have it tied to colleges, that it would be able to work better for just a sport. If the, 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 maybe they should restructure the academic calendar around the, the college football playoff. What do you think? And yet, though, Dylan Morris is doing both. Oh, I didn't think of that, Christian. Yeah. So I. Oh, that's really interesting. I don't know. And again, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Maybe there'll be some more reporting around it. I don't know if it's if it's because the schools that Malik Murphy's interested in don't want him otherwise <laughs> obligated and, and finishing up at Texas. But that, Dylan, that Dylan Morris is it. in the, is in the portal and taking visits and looking at other schools and figuring out where he's going to play next year while being fully welcome to, to continue being Washington's backup quarterback for as long as they're, they're playing. So I was happy to see that Dylan's going to stay on the team. I'm also totally, I totally understand why he's transferring and wish him the best. Um, yeah, that's 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 really interesting. So, I'm reading ESPN story about Malik Murphy, uh-huh. and he says he's quoted here. Pete Thamel wrote it that uh, Steve Sarkeesian gave him the opportunity to stay. Oh, he did. Uh, okay, and that he he just he just decided that the time it would take with the visits and everything that it was just best for him to for him to go. So, um, 
Well, what I think we'll it, do with is... Dylan Morris, it's maybe a little bit different just because he's a veteran. He's so locked into everything they're doing and um, he knows the offense, right? Like I, they've got time. He can go and take these visits. And yeah, I think from talking to Grubb on Thursday, it kind of sounded like it was a, an ongoing conversation and that I don't think he, he said Morris didn't want to go in the portal, but that it got to a point where all these other quarterbacks are in the portal and finding landing spots. And I think the two of them were kind of like, Oh, you know, like if, if this is what you want to do, you probably need to go out there and look at this and take your visits and start figuring it out, or there's not going to be any spots left. So were you surprised at the news that Dylan was transferring? Um, not really. Uh, you know, they've, they're in the portal looking at guys, right? Will mm-hmm. Rogers from Mississippi State is visiting this weekend. And, you know, you, you're clearly looking for a one-year stopgap between Michael Penix and presumably Austin Mack. And they're looking for experience. And, you know, I'm sure that their conversations, like talking with Ryan Grubb a little bit today, um, I would guess that their conversations with Dylan Morris probably included, like, what's the what the plan is for 2024. And... You know, it, it. You don't go out and get a veteran senior quarterback who's thrown for a million yards if you're expecting the fifth year guy entering his last year in college to be a viable competitor for that job. Probably, I mean, Grubb didn't say that, but that's kind of reading between the lines. And it, and you know, even if the word is, "Hey, look, we're not anointing anybody, but we're going to go out and get somebody experienced, and you can compete against them." Well that's that's no sure thing if you're dylan morris so if you if it's really important to you to finish your career as a starter and and you know you've sat on the bench for two years learning this offense i'm sure he feels like he's a much better player than he was before kalen DeBoer came to washington you know you want to go show it if not to prove to anybody else but just to prove to yourself that like hey i i'm a better player i can do this i want to see what it actually looks like for me on the field um you know rather than continuing to be a, a backup at Washington. So I, I'm not surprised. And frankly, I'm I'm not surprised at the arrangement that he's going to continue to, to, to be their backup quarterback either. I, I wouldn't think that he would leave um, if, if he didn't have the option. All right. And I don't think he would enter the portal if he didn't have the option to, to stay with the team. I mean, I think it's probably really, really important to him to, to have this experience to play, you know, frankly, an important role, right? I mean, that guy is one play away from needing to go on the field. And there's a huge gulf between his ability to operate the offense and the ability of Austin Mack, you know, a true freshman who's just just learning things. So um, they need him. You know, they they need to have him in that role. And I, I just for all that he's put in, I would have what really would have surprised me is if he entered the portal and was just gone and didn't go with them to the college football playoff and have that experience. That would have shocked me. Yeah. It is interesting to think how the schedule um, and Washington being in the college football playoff is going to affect the timing. And you mentioned Ryan Grubb. That's, that's one it's certainly going to affect his, the chances or likelihood that he returns. Um, We'll see how things go, but that's (laughs) Washington might in, in some ways luck into another year of Ryan Grubb at offensive coordinator simply because Washington's so good. I'm cheering for Dylan Morris. It's always tough when you watch a guy kind of for circumstances that are, it's not outside of his control, but the way things just the, the way things transpired that 
his his most prominent opportunity came earlier on in his career. And if he'd gotten that chance when he was more experienced, it might've gone differently. Yeah. He visited Marshall. The thundering herd. The thundering herd, not just the herd. They thunder. I was thinking, so the Heisman trophy ceremony, obviously in, in New York, just down the street from where I was. And I found myself flashing back. There were two years that I covered the, the Heisman trophy ceremony. Now, back then it was at the downtown athletic club, which was no great shakes. I think now it's at the Lincoln Center, which is pretty fancy. And one of those years was the year that Randy Moss was a finalist. Isn't that wild to think that a guy from Marshall was a Heisman Trophy finalist? And he probably should have won. He <laughs> finished fourth. He probably should have. Because that's the year. It's the year that Charles Woodson wins it. Um, well, and ESPN just did a big 30 for 30 on the, the Heisman race that year. Oh, did they? Mm-hmm. What did they talk about? Because that's the year that like Peyton's heart got broken. Yeah, I haven't watched it. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I remember it was featured a little bit in the thirty for thirty on on Randy Moss, um, and how he wore sunglasses just because he was so uncomfortable and and was was trying to to chill out. Oakley metal framed, like very reflective sunglasses. It was. I mean, when you see Randy Moss, look, football is full of physical freaks. Like guys who just physically are able to do things that are X-Men kind of stuff. Randy Moss is right up there with the freakiest of the freaky freaks who have ever played professional football. How tall and lanky he was and how freaking fast. I I still don't know if people understand and, and in present day what he actually looked like playing football because it was just bananas. I I'd like to think I would have voted for him. <laughs> really? Woodson Woodson was a deserving. It's not like Woodson didn't deserve it. Um, no. And like. Do you think fair, you would you have? Know, you think you would have? Because it was one double A at that time. It's a it's a lesser division. If I could have watched the highlights, I guess 1997, it's a little different. But mm-hmm. like, it's it's not just, you know, like if you took the the FCS leader in receiving yards any given year. Yeah, I'm sure you could poke holes and like, oh, well, but yeah, I mean, it's come on, it's FCS. He did that against all these defenses, and and it's not the same. Randy Moss was a just was just different, and he, like you say, he he was a superhero playing receiver, and it wasn't like, oh yeah, okay, but hmm, put him put him in the SEC, you know, put him in the ACC. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, first of all, he was supposed to be, yeah. He was supposed to play for Notre Dame, and yes. that didn't work out. He was supposed to play for play for Florida State, and that didn't work out. Like this guy, these big time schools wanted this guy, um, and he was. I mean, the this the way he would he would hurdle guys, and I don't know. I I'd like to think that anyone could have looked at him and been like, I don't care what level he's playing at. This is he's dominating because he's Randy Moss. He's not dominating because of the competition. Like that is a Hall of Fame receiver. Yeah, that everybody in the NFL is so freaked out. I, I'm pretty sure. I think he's in the same draft with Corey Dillon, and Corey Dillon falls to the second round, and Randy Moss is middle of the first round because teams are so worried about quote unquote character, which, by the way, is a terrible term that people throw around. Um, doesn't really mean what they say it means when they talk about character, but yeah, like those. It was, it, 
Randy Moss was something else, man. Like just, yeah. just unbelievable. One of my favorite screen grabs is Randy, Randy Moss on the bench, uh, during the, you know, the the offensive score and he's on the bench wearing a ball cap and they show the TV graphic that shows three catches for 163 yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, um, uh, that was against the Dallas Cowboys. So I think he, I think, I think he turned out all right. My favorite Randy Moss clip is the one where he's in the parking lot and they ask him how he paid his fines and he just goes straight cash, homie. Straight cash. <laughs> I think I've got a, a t-shirt with him, like with his face that says that straight cash, homie. Any, uh, any qualms with the Heisman voting? I don't like it. I understand why it happened the way it did. Um, I, I think that the, the general West coast, the bias against West coast players is well-established and was firmly on display there. And it's too bad, but I wasn't surprised with how it went. I don't think it's the right result, but I'm kind of also past the point of getting mad at it because that's just how it is. Um, and it's, I feel, I think it's a pretty remarkable achievement that Michael Penix placed second and it does make it clear that for all of the conversation about Bo Nix, I'm not sure how close. If Oregon wins that game, do you think that Nix finishes ahead of Penix? Oh, no question. Really? Yeah. He might have the votes were still really? You think that that really? I mean, maybe with the game he had, but I don't know. Be, oh, let's say Washington doesn't get the first down when they get the ball. They, uh-huh. they, or they don't recover the onside kick or they don't get the first down. And Oregon gets it back, and Nick's leads them down for a game-winning touchdown. He would have he threw for three touchdowns in that game, and he had the big long one on the possession before. He I didn't think he played a great game. No, um, his numbers turned out okay. He had a hell of a run. Like his best play was that scramble. Yeah, but you throw you throw on another like game-winning touchdown drive to maybe get them in the playoff and win the Pac-12 title. Like I think oh, I think he would have got a lot of votes out of that. See, I I took it as that it was really, there were only two guys. By the time we got to the Pac-12 championship game, there were two guys that were capable of winning it. It was Penix and Daniels, and that I wasn't sure if, given how the votes looked, that I didn't think that Knicks had a shot, even if they won. But maybe I'm maybe I'm overestimating or underestimating how many people still didn't have their mind made up, and that all the people that voted for Penix would have voted for Knicks had, had, had the Ducks won. I think that's what it would have happened mm-hmm. because he was a pretty distant third in the betting odds going into that game. Uh-huh. Um, and he, you know, he didn't have like the super duper star game that he probably needed to really make it close with Jaden Daniels. I don't think there's anything, you know, looking back, I don't think there's anything he could have done to win it anyway. Um, but yeah, I like I, with, with the Heisman and with the Bolitnikov, I just look, I'm like, Jaden Daniels was really good. If you want to say he was the best player in college football this year, like I'm not going to sit here and say that's ridiculous. Um, Marvin Harrison and Malik Neighbors are really, really good. Put up, you know, Neighbors put up huge numbers. Harrison put up really good numbers for a team that didn't have as great of a quarterback. He was clearly the best player on his team for a team that went 11 and one and and all that. So I like I don't I don't think it's it's crazy to 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 vote a different way. Um, even though I think like Michael Penix Jr. had a great Heisman case, I, I voted him number one and I thought Romo Dunze had a, a great case for the Blitnikoff. Maybe they should have, uh, 
yeah, maybe they should have gone public with the rib thing. Maybe that would have, maybe that would have put it over. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think they're, I don't know, man. Marvin Harrison in the hype machine. Um, yeah, I don't know matter. if he was, I don't know if he was making up that gap. I, I will say it is always odd to me how Heisman voting, and I suppose this happens in other sports too when it comes to MVPs, where there's some years they give it to the most sort of outstanding or spectacular player. And some years they give it to the quarterback on the best team. Like yeah. it's it's always weird how that that toggles. Whereas Jaden, like Jaden, clearly this year is the most spectacular quarterback, kind of on the lines of Lamar Jackson when Lamar Jackson won the Heisman. But then there's other years where they're like, well, we're just, we're giving it to the guy who's the best player, the the quarterback on the best team, which is often an Alabama quarterback. It's it's always funny to me how that how that plays out. Yeah, um, Daniels is in the the Lamar Jackson, Robert Griffin, the third mold. I think Baylor was nine mm-hmm. and three yep. in the regular season when when um, RG three won it. Louisville was Louisville nine and three too. They might have even yeah, had they lost the same, three times. Yeah, they might have even had exactly the same record. So um, I voted for Lamar Jackson. Lamar was a hell of a player, and I think he had better numbers the next year. He was, yeah. But it was kind of like they they'd given it to him, and now it was time to get back to giving it to the quarterback from the best team or the running yeah, it was back like, from the right, best team. You won it. Like, <laughs> Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams had better numbers this year. Yeah, in, yeah. in cer- certain numbers, certain numbers were better. So, but no, he he wasn't even top ten. How about Caleb Caleb Williams taking the beating that he did in terms of PR for not? There were people criticizing him for crying after the UW game, and then were not talking the next week. I was. I was I was perplexed and annoyed by the amount of uh, tongue clucking that occurred over Caleb Williams' behavior. Like that dude's an awesome player, and he had a great year on a team whose defense is just awful. Yeah, hey, you could argue you could argue they were just kind of just the same team, maybe even like marginally better in areas, but they they didn't have the turnover luck that they had the year before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that they should have fired the guy that couldn't make it as Wazoo's defensive coordinator before the season started. Um, Washington edges and special teams coach Eric Schmidt is the, the opposite of fired. He is in fact hired, uh, reportedly as San Diego state's next defensive coordinator under uh former Colorado offensive coordinator, Sean Lewis, who I think will, will find life as, as the head man in San Diego, uh, at San Diego state more enjoyable than he did as Deion Sanders offensive coordinator, considering how things ended there is, are you surprised to watch him? Is it a promotion? I would assume it's a promotion to go from offensive coordinator at CU to head coach at San Diego State. Are you surprised that that happened? Oh, not at all. I mean, he had to leave. Like, no, no, it, I get that. Are you surprised that 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 he had that good of a landing spot? Um, no, because he he was really highly thought of at Kent State as the head coach, mm-hmm. and I mean, a really hard place to win, and he got them to to like a seven win type of program. Um, that was seen as like a great hire by Dion, right? Like, yeah. wow, he got Sean Lewis to leave a head coaching job to be his offensive coordinator. And after their first four games, it was feeling like, okay, he, he's going to be able to pick his job. He's going to be the next hot, you know, head coaching name. Um, he's already got head coach experience and now he's here at Colorado putting up all these points with, with this offense, with this program. It was horrible last year. Like, you know, he, he was kind of viewed as like next. Um, and then, just really bizarre, really bizarre decision to 
take the play calling duties from him. And it was like, okay, well, he clearly he's not coming back. Where's he going to go? So, I mean, the fact that he got a look, he upgraded, he went from kind of tough place to win type of group of five head coaching job to, I think you'd say one of the best group of five head coaching jobs. Um, so I, Oh, that's you know, true. Yeah. If you look at it long scale, like Kent state, he, he goes with a stop in between with Dion and now he's at San Diego state. That's true. It's a huge upgrade. Would, would he have definitely left Kent state for San Diego state? I, I don't know. I, I think it's definitely a better job. I don't know that you, it's one that you uproot everything. If you're already a head coach to go do, but maybe, you know, I think it's, you know, I think it's a good job. So um, good opportunity for Schmidt too, um, especially, like I think if if you can go from being a a position an FBS position coach to being an FBS coordinator on the side of the ball that the head coach does not come from Correct. that's a that's a really good that's a really good situation. I mean that means you are the guy, it's your defense. Um he's got defensive coordinator experience too. So it's not like a a super new challenge for him at this level it is, but um you know, did did a good. I know Kalen DeBoer thinks really highly of him. Did a good job with the the edges room the last couple of years, and um, thought they got a lot better on special teams this season too. So smart football guy, um, good guy to talk to. Very gives very long, thorough responses, which which certainly we in the media always appreciate. So um, assuming that that all comes together, it's still just just reported, hasn't been announced or anything. Um, that'll be a good move for him. Huskies special teams. I won't even say sneaky strength. One of the team's strengths this year. Their kickoff returns were consistently, consistently great. Really, really good kickoff returns. Um, and I I thought their coverage teams have been really, really good too. Uh, in addition to Rome busting the one, the, the one punt, taking it back to the house. Yeah, I mean, the best thing you can say for college kick return and kick cover is that I think it got to the point where when Washington kicked off, you hoped that the other team tried to return it. And mm-hmm. that when Washington was receiving a kickoff, you hope that Daniel Nagata tried to return it. You bring know? it out. Like, bring it out. So bring it, it out. You know, bring it out. Plenty of times Grady Gross just put the ball in the end zone or deep enough where it was. Uh, and you, you saw teams toward the end of the season like, yeah, we're fair catching this. You know, like we're, it's it, this is not we're, we're taking the 25. We're not trying them. So, yeah, they their kick coverage units especially were were really good. Was also the source of one of my favorite DeBoer quotes this year. Who'd they have the punt blocked? That their punt was blocked. Was it against Arizona State? It was uh, USC. When USC blocked the punt, and afterwards DeBoer, because they had the funky wide open formation, and afterwards DeBoer was like, "Yeah, one of our guys just didn't block somebody." Yeah, <laughs> everybody, just one guy just didn't block who he was supposed to. Yeah, he wrecked. just. Uh... He just didn't block him. Oh, that's right, because it was the tight end who uh, who changed his jersey so he could play on special teams that blocked the dang kick, the guy who dropped the pass on the previous drive. Yeah, it was redemption. <laughs> I, I could have done without that redemption. Thank you, Christian. Are you, are, you, are you having any second thoughts about New Orleans? No! Let's go! I got my, I got my notice for the, for the pregame tailgate. I'm getting oh, that's right. You are going. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I have my ticket. Uh, I have my tailgate all set up. Um, yeah, I'm I'm ready to do it. The only thing I'm worried about is the kicks late. Was it nine? It is late. It is a nine, late nine, game. Nine forty-five Eastern time. It will be eight forty-five there in the Big Easy. It means there's going to be a lot of time for people on Bourbon Street before. Let's get is after it, seven, it. Is it seven forty-five local? 
I think it's 7.45 local. Oh, so is it 8.45? That makes more sense. 9.45 is ridiculously late. Yeah, 8.45 Eastern, 7.45 local. That makes That's something sense. I should probably know. No. Why? It's still <laughs> what, got like what, two weeks. What, what time the game starts? My, okay, is that, take, a, is, yeah, is that sure. an important uh, piece of information? There's a lot of time between then and now. Like, you need to know that on January 1st at about 1 p.m. when we're taking you down down Bourbon Street. That's when you need to know that the game, the, when the kickoff time is, Christian. It is 5.45 Pacific time. So, breaking news. Please please attribute on Montlake.com with that information. The, <laughs> the game kicks off at 5.45 p.m. Pacific time. There we go. Short episode this week, but we mostly, will be back next week. Mostly my Thursday fault. Time. Yeah, mostly my fault because of scheduling snafus. My apologies. Well, sort of. There were there was there were scheduling conflicts all over the place. It was a, it was a scheduling conflict Wednesday. Um, but we will talk to you next week. Peace.